Amen, amen. I told you, there's a lot coming up here. We want you to be a part of it. So excited for what God's doing in the church. And I am excited to bring you the second installment in a message series. You see it behind me. We're calling it, How Can You Be Sure? How Can You Be Sure? I want to invite you to take your Bibles out with me and find the little epistle of 1 John. Go all the way to the back of the book. Find the book of Revelation and turn left. You'll find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. We're going to be in 1st John. Last week we began this series and I told you that John, the, the writer of this epistle, is also the writer of the gospel of John and he wrote that gospel so that we would believe, so that we would believe in Jesus. He wrote this epistle so that we would know. And so you could say it like this. The gospel is how to be saved. The epistle is how to be sure. And so the word that, that comes up over and over again in these short five chapters is the word no. In fact, 39 times John writes no, that you can know some things, eight times in just the last chapter. Now, you and I are very aware that we are living in times of uncertainty, I don't say that for shock value. That's just the reality. There's a lot of uncertainty going on in our world. There's a lot of things that people don't know. There's a lot of things that we thought we knew, and we're now finding out we don't know. And every time we think we get a corner of understanding, the rules change, the facts change, the stats change, and we just feel like we don't know. And as I was praying about that, the Lord led me to this little letter of 1 John And here's my prayer for the church. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will give us some confidence back. Come on, somebody say amen this morning to that. The Holy Spirit wants to give us our confidence back. And I want you to know that there are some things that we can know. Last week, we began the series, and I told you there's several things that John said, this is the reason I wrote. In fact, four different times, John says, I'm writing these things to you because... And last week, we talked about a couple of them. He said, I'm writing so that you'll be full of joy. And then he said, I'm writing so that you'll be free from sin. Well, today, I want to talk about another one of the reasons that John wrote, because he wants you to know that you can be sure of some things. If you're a note taker, this is the big takeaway. I want you to know, John wanted you to know that you can be clear about today. Anybody besides me wants some clarity in 2020. Isn't it ironic that it's 2020 and everybody was talking about vision, 2020 vision, and now nobody has clarity. Yeah, it's going to be 2020 vision. And we're like, what do we go? I think hindsight's 2020. God wants you to know some things. He wants you to be clear about today. Look with me at this first verse. It's 1 John chapter 2. Verse 26, and as I said last week, we're not, we're not going line by line through this little book. We're just kind of, we're going to tackle it from every angle in this series. So starting in verse 26 of chapter 2, John says this. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now, I know none of you can relate to people trying to lead the church astray, not in 2020. I mean, it's hard. You're going to have to use your imagination to relate to this, but believe it or not, in John's day, There were people that were actually trying to lead the church astray. There were people that were actually trying 
to give false information. I know, mind-blowing, but it really happened. And so John is concerned about it, and here's what he does. He takes the quill, and he takes some parchment, and he says, I'm going to write a letter. I mean, John's an old man now. He walked with Jesus maybe over 50 years before. He's an old man, maybe in his 80s, maybe older. And, and he takes a, a pen and, and parchment, and he says, I'm going to write some things to you about those that are trying to lead you astray. So, so what did he write to him? Well, back up to verse 18 with me, and you'll see. John said, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Now, maybe you know this already. Maybe you're unfamiliar, but John is the only New Testament writer that uses this term, the Antichrist. He wrote the gospel, of course. He wrote these three epistles. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And usually when you hear the Antichrist, you think capital A, Antichrist, you're picturing that person that Paul, the apostle, referred to as the man of lawlessness, or that John referred to in the book of Revelation when he talked about the beast, that leader that will come to world power during a seven-year tribulation period, and it will end with the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, and at that moment, Jesus will, will destroy him with a breath. That's the person we think of when we think of the Antichrist. But John says here, the spirit of Antichrist is already here. In verse 18, he said, even now, there are many antichrists that have come. Let me show you one more verse that he says about the antichrist in chapter 4, verse 3. John says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Here's what John's doing. John's telling us how we can be clear about today. You know, you don't have to be too observant, observant to know that there's a lot of Christians today that are worried about the church being deceived. There's a lot of people that are, that are consumed with the thought that, that somehow we might get the wool pulled over our eyes and and fall under a great deception. And, 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 and I, see, I see the post. I see the comments. You know, they, they say things like, open your eyes, people. And I'm sure they put it in all caps just because they love us. I mean, it, it doesn't always feel that way, but I'm sure it's in all caps because they love us so much. Or they say, don't be sheep. Like we're all being led to the slaughter. Or my personal favorite, a combination of the two. They say, wake up, sheeple. Like, <laughs> clever. But can I just say this? All, all that nonsense communicates, and it is nonsense. All of that communicates is this reality, that no one wants to be deceived, and that everyone is unsure and uncertain about where we're at and what we're dealing with and what we're going through. But I, can I just be pastoral for a moment? Can I just talk to the saints of God? I'm concerned about how the church is handling crisis. I'm concerned. Because as I look across the landscape of the kingdom, we got several types right now. We've got the heresy hunters. They're those that are, are just hell-bent on finding the next false prophet. 
Like anybody, you know, and we're just, man, we're shooting the army of God in the back. I mean, we're, you know, friendly fire. Every time anybody says anything that might be construed or taken out of context, we've got heresy hunters on the lookout. Why? Because they don't want the rest of us to be deceived. And so they've put a badge on, they've deputized themselves as heresy hunters. It also seems in this hour that anybody with a a Wi-Fi connection and a Google search bar can tell us who the Antichrist is going to be. And they can tell you what technology is now available that is going to be the mark of the beast. Can I tell you, there is no technology written about in Revelation, so it's all speculation. But they can tell you. And another group that really just concerns me right now, it seems we have a a population in the kingdom of God that has now shifted their focus entirely from saving the lost to surviving the longest. It's like their goal is just to outlast the rest of us. Like, you know, I I don't know how this is going to play out, but I promise you, I got more food, more guns, and protection than the rest of y'all. So I'm good. Like, now the mission is to just live the longest. And I just say to all of us, myself included, if you want to make the devil's job a little easier... Just argue with each other about stuff that nobody really has the authoritative answer on. I mean, just just yell at each other. Let's just cause division. Let's just have strife. Because I promise you, that's a battleground where Satan can win, where there is disunity. I want to tell you some things today that the Lord's just impressed on my heart that will give you clarity about today. I want to tell you what John said will give you clarity. But before I get to what John said, I want to talk a little bit about this character, the Antichrist, that we read about that John tells us about. And I want you to know personally, as your pastor, maybe you've wondered, maybe you could care less, but you came today, so I'm going to tell you. Here's my view. I am not concerned about who the Antichrist is. I want you to know that. I am not at all concerned about who the Antichrist is, and I'll tell you why. The reason I could care less who he is is because I have no intention of being here when he comes on the scene. Right. Amen. And I'll show you in Scripture why I believe that. But if I could take my, my theology of, of end-time events, if I could explain to you in one sentence why I feel the way I do, Here it is. I believe believers will be leaving. That's it. That's my conviction. I believe believers will be leaving. And Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. He says this in chapter 4 in verse 14. For we believe, this is a great statement of faith, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Man, that's a theological mouthful. I don't have time to unpack all of it, but a couple things. One, they were so convinced that the Lord was coming again and that he was going to take both the living and the dead in Christ that they referred to death as falling asleep. And that's confidence because they knew Jesus could raise the dead. That's why when Jesus walked into Jairus' house and saw his daughter laying there and everybody crying, he said, why are you crying? She's only asleep. And they laughed at him. But from Jesus' perspective, she was asleep because he was about to raise her up again. 
And so Paul says, those who have fallen asleep are going to rise again. But look at the next verse. Verse 16, he said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And after he says that, amen, after he says that, he says this, therefore, because I said that, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I just got to tell you, if, if, if that means that the church is going to endure seven years of tribulation and under the oppression of the Antichrist and, and wars and, and plagues and, and all of that, I don't think we're encouraging each other with those words. No, I, I believe there is encouragement in these words because there is a hope that God is going to deliver the church before the tribulation period. Now, I know some people would go, a, a rapture? I mean, you really, you really believe that Christians are going to be taken away? I mean, you do know the word rapture is not in the Bible, right? And I, Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible either, you know, so... Neither is the word Trinity, but we have these terms to describe something. That word caught up. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up. That Greek word, when it's translated into Latin, was rapturo. That's where we get the word rapture. It describes this catching away of the church. Did you know another reason I believe believers will be leaving is because in Revelation, the church is mentioned 19 times in the first four chapters. But we get the most explicit description of the tribulation period from chapter 4 to chapter 18. Do you know how many times the church is mentioned between those 14 chapters? Zero. Not one mention of the church during the tribulation period. I believe that's because it has nothing to do with us. I believe believers will be leaving. Here's another reason I believe it. Because Jesus talked about the tribulation. And when Jesus taught about the tribulation, he compared it to two different times. He compared it to the days of Noah, and he compared it to the days of Lot. And if you remember those stories, in the days of Noah, Noah and his family were rescued in an ark of safety before one drop of rain hit the earth. And in the story of Lot, God rescued Lot and his family out of the place of judgment before any burning sulfur fell from the sky. He didn't wait till half the city was consumed. They didn't army crawl their way out of a city of destruction. No, he led them out. He delivered them out of destruction. In both cases, they were rescued before tribulation came. So I believe believers will be leaving. Paul described the future hope of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 9. He said this, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, what should we say? He said, I'll tell you how to pray. Say, deliver us from evil. And I believe he's going to answer that prayer when believers are leaving. He's going to deliver us from evil. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul describes what's happening right now in the world using that phrase for the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. Look at this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.7. He says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. He's saying the same thing John is. The spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. He said that secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. So if the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness is already at work in the world, Who's the one holding him back? It's the church. It's the Holy Spirit in operation through the church. And one of these days, when the Lord decides, he's going to remove the one that's holding back the man of lawlessness. And can you imagine what that day would be like when all of a sudden every Christian is gone, every preacher is gone, every, every teacher of the word of God, every Bible school student Every Christian in the marketplace, gone, and all of a sudden, there's confusion. There's going to be a big stage available for somebody to stand up that seems rational and logical to explain what's happening, and they're going to get the attention of the whole world. The stage will be set for the man of lawlessness in that moment. And maybe you're wondering, like, well, is the Antichrist alive today? I mean, is is this it? Is he here today? Here's, Here's my opinion on that. Well, first, let me just give you my answer. I don't know. And it's okay for preachers to say that sometimes, by the way. I don't know if he's alive, but here's what I believe. I believe that maybe Satan has an antichrist in every generation. Why wouldn't he? Our times are not in his hands. The end times are not in his hands. Church, you don't have to panic. You don't have to wonder if all of a sudden, oh, oh, now Satan's doing what he wants to do. No, he is being held back until the time is set by the Lord. And so I believe that he keeps raising up Antichrist, and we can look through history, and we can see people like the Stalins and the Hitlers, and we can go, man, you talk about an Antichrist spirit. Well, maybe that was the Antichrist, but God said, nope, not in this generation. No, I, I, I still want more people to be saved. I still have a work to be done. The gospel hasn't gone to the end of the earth. That guy got old and died or got shot by somebody, and so Satan has to come up with another one. But our times are not in his hands. God is in control. And so I'm not concerned about the Antichrist. I want you to know that. I am concerned about the spirit of Antichrist that is operating right now in the earth. And that's what John talked about. Listen today, maybe you listen to everything I've said about that and you go, yeah, but theologically, I I don't agree with that. Like, you know, I I could show you another scripture and, and I think that you know, it's not a pre-tribulation rapture. I think maybe we're going to be here for three and a half years of it, and then it's going to be a mid-tribulation rapture. And others that are intelligent and good Bible scholars would say, well, actually, we don't believe in a rapture. We think the church is going to endure all of it, and then it's the day of the Lord. It's the second coming, and God's coming for all that. And, and can I just say to you, good news today, if you disagree with me and you don't believe believers will be leaving, that's not the reason that John gave for our hope. 
In other words, John said you can be sure, and it has nothing to do with your eschatological view. It has nothing to do with the order of events that are going to play out. I want to show you why John said you can be confident today. It's John, 1 John 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now... Many antichrists have come. Now jump down to verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Here it is. You want to know how you can keep from being deceived? You want to know how you can be clear about today? John says it's the anointing. It's the anointing. You have an anointing on your life. Let me go to another verse where he talks about this anointing, down in verse 27. He says, as for you, church, the anointing you received from him, Jesus, remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, Remain in him. He said, the anointing you experience, the spirit of God, the presence of God is real. Remain in it. Remain in him. It's the anointing that's going to give you confidence. What is the anointing? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, you can see lots of people and things were anointed. David was anointed to be the king. And so we see that when a person is anointed... They would pour oil on them, and it symbolized the presence of the Holy Spirit, that God has chosen them, set them apart for a purpose. Utensils in the temple were set apart. They were consecrated. They had an anointed purpose. They they had a use they could be used for, and they couldn't be used for anything else but that. John is saying, here's the reality for the church, for every Christian. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. You've been set apart for a specific purpose. Jesus said it like this about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. You have an anointing. It it might not be to preach. It might be to parent. It might be to teach a class. But God has marked your life with his Holy Spirit. And you have a special purpose that you're set aside for. And what what John was dealing with in their day is there were these false teachers, Gnostics, that were coming to the churches that he had helped establish in Ephesus, and they were telling the people, we've got got new information. We've got special insight. We've got special revelation. We know. And and in fact, if you don't get our special revelation and our insight, you're you're not going to go higher in your spirituality. And so people were clamoring to these teachers to go, well, I mean, I heard the gospel. I know Jesus, but I never heard that before. Tell me that. Tell me what you know. And that's why John says, you don't need anyone to teach you. He wasn't saying you don't need a pastor. I mean, he's writing a letter to teach them. What he's saying is, you don't need worldly wisdom. You don't need man's uh, contrived theory about what's happening. You don't need somebody's special revelation. Why? Because you have an anointing. Because you have the word of God. And what is the anointing and the Holy Spirit teaching you to do? He said it's teaching you to remain 
in him. Verse 27, remain in Christ. So John is saying, don't go running after that other stuff. Don't be distracted. Don't go running after all, all, all of this new revelation. There's nothing new about this revelation. You have an anointing. You remember how John started the letter. We looked at it last week if you were here. John, John said in chapter 1, verse 3, he said, I'm writing to you what we have seen and heard. In other words, what he was saying is, I'm an authority on this issue. I'm an authority because I saw Jesus, I knew Jesus, I talked with him, I walked with him, but now he's going another layer deep. John, remember, he's an old man. He walked with the Lord in his 20s, in his teen years. He's not just saying, I'm an authority because I knew Jesus way back in my younger days and I walked with him, and I know you guys didn't get to meet him, but trust me, I'm telling you what I've seen and heard. No, he's saying more than that. John is saying that Jesus that I experienced that I knew, that I walked with. I saw him break bread and fish and feed the 5,000. He said, that Jesus, I saw him ascend up into heaven. And a few days later, he sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost and filled my life. And every day for the last 50 years, I've been walking with this same Jesus. I've been hearing and seeing this same Jesus. Why? Because his Holy Spirit lives in me. And what John is saying is that same spirit that dwells in me, that dwelt in Christ, can dwell in you. So while everybody else is is running after truth and revelation and insight, you have the spirit of truth on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. And that's your source. And I want to challenge us as the body of Christ in a day and in a time where people are hungry for knowledge we, we've fact-checked ourselves to death. We are dizzy with information. And a lot of it, we, we, we just have to acknowledge, we have to come to the conclusion, I don't know. I don't know. People ask me questions all the time about this virus, about the election. I mean, fill in the blank. It, I don't know. I don't know any more than you. Thought I knew, and then somebody showed me something else. That was pretty compelling, too. I don't know, but what do we do as the people of God in a time when everyone is going, tell me something more. If I had more information, I'd be more spiritual. If I knew more, if I was prepared more, John gives us the answer. He says, you have the anointing. And here's what the anointing is doing, the Holy Spirit. He's doing one thing today, one thing. He's drawing you to Jesus. That's why he said over and over there, he said, the spirit is telling you, remain, remain. The old old King James version is abide. I like that word, abide. That's what needs to happen in the church in 2020, anointing and abiding. So I wanna pray for us today at the end of this service here. I wanna take a few moments and just ask the Lord to give us a fresh anointing. See, it's awesome to come together and to feel God's presence in a corporate gathering like this. To to, to feel the faith of other people and to say, wow, God is in this place. But we've got to operate at another level. We've got to be at a place where you can be in the grocery store aisle and it's one-way traffic and people stare you down if you walk up the wrong aisle. Hey, you're supposed to be going. No, sorry, 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 man. Put your mask on. 
I'm telling you, man, I got some dirty looks in the grocery store. I didn't know it was one way. You're going to have to have an anointing to feel God in that moment. As we get ready to head back into classrooms and dealing with all of the, the stuff of navigating another school year, you got to have something of the Spirit of God on the inside. And we move into this fall and the schedule gets hectic and time gets busy and we need to hear from God. We need the Spirit calling us to abide. 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 Remain. Remain in Christ. Oh, but I'm getting so distracted. Just remain in Christ. Yeah, but did you see that video about remain in Christ? Yeah, but did you hear, did you see the new campaign? Just remain. Remain in Christ. I want to pray for you. I want to ask if you'd stand. If you can, if you'd stand with me all over this room. For those of you online, stay with us. We're going to pray a prayer of faith in just a moment that God would fill us fresh and anew with his Holy Spirit. Can, can I tell you, before we pray, look, I did not start out this sermon series, uh, just to be honest with you, thinking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then last Sunday, the Holy Spirit kind of hijacked my whole sermon and, and brought us right here. Thank God. But after last Sunday, man, my eyes were just wide open to what the Spirit is really wanting to do right now in this season in this church. And I, I, can't teach your, I can't teach my way through 2020. Can I just say that? I mean, if you just came for like, you know, a good outline and some instruction, that'll probably help you till, I don't know, 1230. We need the anointing. We need the spirit of Jesus to be so upon us that we feel compelled the way Christ felt compelled. He was so driven by his mission that no thing and no one could distract him away from it. Whether people wanted to throw him off the edge of a cliff or whether they wanted to put a crown on his head and make him a king, he just stayed focused on the mission. We need that. We need the anointing in this hour. Now, the Holy Spirit, we call him holy for a reason. He's holy. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up where he's tolerated. He shows up where he's celebrated. And he can be grieved. The Bible tells us what grieves the Spirit of God. It's sin. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. So the most appropriate thing you can do to prepare for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit of God is to confess your sins to God. So I just want to give you an opportunity right now, whether you know the Lord, maybe you've never prayed a prayer of confession before, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for years. How many of you know confession is good for the soul, every soul? I want to just invite you right now. Let's take about 25 seconds. And if there's any sin in your life that you just, you sense right now, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about it. Just Open yourself up to his searchlight. Say, God, just reveal to me anything that, that grieves your heart. Now I want to invite you. Would you just take a moment and just confess it to him? God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for my arrogance. Lord, forgive me for my pride. God, if I've, if I've jumped out ahead of your will this week, God, if I've said things that I knew I shouldn't have said, God, reveal those things right now in our lives. 
Lord, I want you to be Lord of, of my whole life, not just, not just my Sunday life, not just my social media presence, not just my filtered Instagram life. God, I want you to be Lord of my whole life, the seen and the unseen, the words and the thoughts. God, search deep today. And if there's any wicked way in me, God, I repent. God, cleanse me. Holy Spirit, make me holy as only you can do. I can't do it. I, I, I could never be good enough, but God, let your Holy Spirit begin to purify my life like the refiner's fire that gets heated up until all the dross rises to the top until what's left is pure gold. God, purify our lives today by your holy fire. We repent of our sins. Come on, if you know you need an anointing today, if you need the Spirit of God to rest on you beyond the four walls of the church, would you just lift your hands toward heaven and ask him, God, would you fill me with your spirit? God, we need your anointing today. Lord, like never before, God, in the days that we're living in, the church has an opportunity today to stand and while the rest of the world is watching the waves crash. Lord, we, we're called to be a lighthouse. We're called to be a, a city on a hill, a place of refuge, a safe harbor from the storm. God, let the light of the church shine like never before. Because we have learned to abide, to abide, to stay with our feet firmly planted on the chief cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. On this solid rock, Lord, we take our stand. God, give us an anointing today of your Holy Spirit that we would sense your power and your presence as much as we do today, this week at work, as much as we do today this week at the grocery store. As we get ready to go back into school, God, we need to sense your presence there, at, at the locker, in the hallway, on the bus, in the cafeteria. God, would you anoint your church? Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can be sure and that we can know in whom we have believed. You're in control today, God. And so we lean in with all of our trust, with all of our hope, not to our own understanding, not for new information or new insight. God, we lean into you. And we trust you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. If you're thankful for his presence in your life, would you just give him praise today? Come on. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his anointing. Thank God for his presence in our lives. Can I just encourage you as I did last weekend? Would you just, I want to encourage you, seek the Lord. Jesus said this, seek the Lord and he'll be found. That's it. I'm a, simple, I'm a simple person. I live by some pretty simple mantras, but I believe that if you'll seek him, you'll find him. I believe if you knock, the door will be open. I believe if you ask, 
you will receive. And I believe if you open up, he'll show up. Open up your heart to him. And when you open your heart, open your Bible. Abide this week. Come on, before you check what's trending, check what's truth. Somebody better retweet that. That's good. <laughs> Listen, you have, an, you have an anointing. Let me just pray a blessing over you today. Father, I thank you so much for your church. God, the people I see standing before me, in my, in my mind's eye, God, I see the army of the living God. I see mighty men and women. Lord, the same way that you walked in to that threshing floor and saw Gideon hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press, and you said to him, oh, mighty man of valor. God, you see that in your church today. We don't feel like mighty people all the time, but it's how you see us. It's who you've anointed us to be. God, let your church rise up and walk in the power of the Spirit for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom this year. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you today.